This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including the Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, please go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies is Tom Jocelyn. And Tom, it's another day, another uh, alleged plot. This time in Belgium, the authorities found two guys they claim were trained uh, in the Middle East and were planning on uh, attacking here in the West. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to to figure out about this so far. It looks like there wasn't an imminent plot uh, necessarily, but it looks like they received some training abroad. And, of course, this is the type of thing that European officials are dealing with all the time is trying to figure out uh, you know, the jihadists returning from Europe, which ones pose a threat and which ones don't. And when you say jihadists, I mean, it's not just a handful. The number I saw is 5,000 Europeans have fought in uh, in Syria in jihad. Is that right? Uh, you know, the number's all over the place. I don't think anybody knows with certainty what the right number is, but it's certainly getting up there. And I think basically every country in Europe has to deal with this problem now. Uh, it's interesting to me. I was uh, reading in the Weekly Standard, in fact, uh, a report from one of the defense officials who was saying that the uh, Paris attack was a quote lone wolf attack, and I'm going, well, wait, 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 whoa, <laughs> Al Qaeda, Syrian training, a military style assault, uh, reconnaissance in advance, working together as a team. Even if you buy the buy lone wolf attack, okay, I get what they're saying, but I'm so I thought this that was as about as Al Qaeda as you could get. How in the world is the Obama administration saying that Paris was a lone wolf attack? Well, you know, what's amazing about this is, you know, some would say, okay, you want to be careful. You don't want to get ahead of the facts. You don't want to claim it's Al-Qaeda before you really know it's Al-Qaeda. And I get that. But what we're witnessing is the exact opposite, is that as the facts continue to mount to show this was Al-Qaeda in the Peninsula, there's this reflexive desire to basically just dismiss that and, and just, just sort of hold on to the prevailing paradigms and concepts for how we understand what's going on, or at least how some people in Washington understand what's going on. And so, you know, in the last day or so, there have been front, you know, uh, prominent stories in the Washington Post and New York Times basically saying that al-Qaeda and the Raven Peninsula's claim of responsibility for the Charlie Hebdo attack is, you know, being drawn into question. If you read the reports carefully, really, basically, they're being drawn into question by some of the worst analysts in the field, really, <laughs> first and foremost, people who are wrong all the time. And second of all, the actual facts in the reporting actually confirm or at least further suggests that Al-Qaeda and Peninsula was involved in this and was behind it. Uh, not, you know, quite the opposite of what the headlines sort of splash. So, well, Tom, wait a second. What, have... what, like, what are the kinds of things in the report and also that have we found elsewhere that indicate to you that the AQAP claim of responsibility is legitimate? Well, think about how ridiculous this is. So in a New York Times article, they, are, they, they quote a researcher who says, well, you know, I don't think that um, either of the Kawachi brothers were really became fully-fledged AQAP. I don't think they were really brought into the organization because the organization was worried about infiltration and they're not going to let these guys in. Well, first of all, 
he has actually, there were no facts or pieces of evidence to support that view. It was just sort of pseudo-intellectual speculation. Uh, second of all, there are facts in the story, including um, that American officials believe that one or both the brothers had actually met directly with Anwar al-Awlaki, a key AQIP ideologue at the time, a very senior guy. And um, so that fact or that reporting directly contradicts the analyst's contention that these guys wouldn't be allowed into AQAP's inner sanctum because the reporting says they were. You know, so this is what's going on right now. Is it basically, you know, the reporting, the facts stand as they are, and people are trying to figure out, you know, exactly what happened in Yemen when one or both the brothers went there for training. And I get that, but the mound of facts all point in one direction right now, which is the AQAP involvement, AQAP direction, you know, some heavy role in this. However you want to, however you want to phrase that. And what's happening is the analysts and researchers and some people in the IC are basically desperate to say that that isn't the case, that this isn't really an AQAP attack. Why? Why desperate to say either way? What difference does it make? Well, it does make a difference in terms of how things are organized. And remember, you know, part of what's going on here is that the Western intelligence services and law enforcement are constantly in this cat-and-mouse game with al-Qaeda and other related groups and al-Qaeda's international network. And if this was an al-Qaeda-directed attack, if al-Qaeda's senior leadership said, you know, was really behind this, uh, as they claim they were, then this means that intelligence officials and law enforcement officials missed it. You know, they got one by the goalie that they didn't see. It's much easier to say, oh, well, these attacks are just lone wolves or, you know, a pack of lone wolves, I guess. Let's not let any of the you know, it's not like the fact that multiple of them uh, suggest it's not lone wolves. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, it, it's much easier to say it's a lone wolf or just some homegrown extremism um, that just sort of something we couldn't detect as opposed to something that we could detect and didn't. You, you see the difference there? It's sort yeah, of a big difference. I, I see. If I will tell you, I, I get frustrated sometimes. Uh, our colleague Stephen Hayes uh, quite frequently deals with the White House trying to spin. Well, that was that's not really core Al Qaeda. It's really whatever soft core Al Qaeda or R rated Al Qaeda. You know, Al Qaeda in the peninsula, Al Qaeda on the uh, Yucatan or whatever. And I just think that the average American looks at this and says, "Hey." Al-Qaeda, or whatever these guys are calling themselves, is still clearly in business. They're taking territory, or people with a similar ideology are taking territory in places like Syria, Iraq, uh, uh, Libya. Uh, and so what difference does it make which label you put on it? Obviously, these guys are still growing. They're still drawing people to their ideology, and those those ideologues are killing us. And I, I just wonder if anyone else shares this kind of frustration I have with, does it really matter how you divide the team? We know they're the bad guys. Why don't we just say the bad guys are, are advancing and we need to stop them? Well, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I always start with this is an ideological war and that all the groups involved here they're talking about are, you know, deal with ideology. They come from the same ideology, whether they have rivalries between them or not. You know, that's really the struggle at, at, at its essence. But it does matter if al-Qaeda is behind this or not. It absolutely matters because, remember, most of what the effort that's being done is to stop basically professional terrorists from executing professional terrorist attacks. There's a reason for that. Professional terrorists increase the operational capacity of the attack by a lot. You know, the type of thing we saw happen in Paris with this train commando-style hit, you know, my colleague Bill Rogio at the Longmore Journal looked at that and immediately said, you know, yeah, these guys weren't trained like Marines or Navy SEALs, but they received training because you don't you don't move like that. You don't act like that, handling your firearms like they did. And, of course, with the surveillance and methodically hunting down the magazine's editor-in-chief, calling him by his nickname, all this stuff, 
showed a lot of meticulous playing. Now, they made mistakes, like, you know, one of them left behind his ID, and there were some journalists who were quick to cite that. They see they weren't that, that professional. And our retort to that is, oh, yeah, well, the Navy SEALs lost a whole helicopter in the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I mean, it just there's this constant reflexive desire to say these guys aren't professional terrorists, they weren't trained. When you see that, I mean, it goes back to, I mean, it does matter. Think about going back to Christmas Day 2009, Umar Abdul Muttalib gets on the plane with a very sophisticated underwear bomb, which he doesn't manage to detonate, and it's just by the grace of God that that plane doesn't come down because nobody in the U.S. intelligence community stopped him, you know. And the president, a few days after that attack, after Abdul Muttalib had already said that he was sent by al-Qaeda in Yemen, just basically calls him a lone extremist. That's or an isolated, I'm sorry, an isolated extremist is how he refers to him. You know, what he wasn't an isolated extremist. He had brethren, and those brethren came from al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. That's who sent him, you know. So it does matter um, how this is going on. Um, you know, you know, now, overall, the big picture, you have to understand that the threat is, you know, evolving and changing, and there's different threats, like the, the evolution of ISIS, as people call it, is certainly, um, you know, something that we have to take into account in terms of how to analyze these things. But, and ultimately, you're dealing with an ideological war. That's absolutely true. But, you know, the specific individuals, specific organizations, all that matters for counterterrorism efforts and for trying to fight this thing in the long run. Because unless you get down to that nitty-gritty and that granular detail, you're not really going to understand where the next attack is going to come from. I have one last question. Uh, reading the news accounts of five more uh, Gitmo detainees, all from Yemen, released to Oman, and then one to Estonia, I mean, it, uh, it's hard not to look at that and say, wow, we just took out three bad guys and then we replenished their bench with five bad guys. If I were uh, an Al-Qaeda or an ISIS sympathizer, I would be thinking, I would think America was insane, that we were dumping combatants onto the battlefield to kill us while we're fighting them. Is there something that I'm missing? You know, no, I, I mean, I think, you know, what's what's interesting to watch is how the press reports on this, too. They say that these guys were cleared for release is the phrase you hear. And cleared for release implies two things. One, that they're innocent. Uh, you know, that's what cleared means. And two, that they can be outright released without any concern for security, uh, without any security concerns. Uh, actually, neither one of those things is true. None of these guys have been cleared for release. That phrase isn't even used by U.S. officials. What they were was approved for transfer. And if you go back to the report written by... President Obama's own task force, and what that actually means. It means that they think that these guys are a risk, some of them more so than others, but they're willing to take that risk as long as the receiving country puts certain security assurances in place to make sure that they don't become a risk again, or they don't, basically that, that they don't become terrorists again, they don't go back to, you know, recidivism, that sort of thing. Um, you know, that sort of discussion here is all lost in the press reporting, that that's what's going on. And so the big assumption in all this is that wherever they go, they're not going to return to the game because the local government's going to make sure they don't return to the game. And I think that we're going to see over the next couple of years that, that that wasn't true. Well, we really appreciate your time, and thanks for helping us figure this out. Tom Johnson with the Foundation for Defense and Democracies. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.